0: Get ready. Today's show is going to bring you hope. Well, hello and welcome to the Strong Tower Mental Health Podcast. I am your host, Heidi Mortensen, licensed marriage and family therapist. And I'm so excited to have with me back Pastor Greg Locke. Hello, Pastor.
1: Hello. Thanks for having me today.
0: Yeah. And I'm having you back because you, the last time you were on We talked about the movie, Come Out in Jesus' Name, and you are actually launching a book that's coming out August 29th of 2023 called Cast It Out. So I wanted to have you back on to talk about this book um, because there's some new things in it.
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate you having me to let us promote it because really it is a kingdom promotion because there's a lot of new stuff in it because as we've grown in deliverance, we've matured in our biblical kind of New Testament overall understanding of what deliverance Mm -hmm. is and what it isn't. And so the book is really a good follow-up to the movie. And I think the reason the movie was so successful is because... It took away the, the hokiness, the quirkiness, mm. the weirdness of deliverance ministry, and it made it a theological concept. And so the book kind of follows along that same journey. Here's how we got to where we are, and here's how we're going to get to the next level. And this is what the Bible really means about casting out evil spirits. So I think it's going to be very helpful for people.
0: Yeah. I, and I have to say, I did read it myself and I, found it very helpful, very easy to read and really kind of stirred up my hunger for the word. Like Mm. you, you have a really good job of kind of, well, I've read this, you know, a hundred (laughs) times and (laughs) now I'm reading this verse again and it, God's showing me something new and different because of what the Lord has really shown you. So I would love it for you to kind of tell a little bit about yourself for those who don't know you. I am surprised that there are still people that don't know much about you. (laughs) I'm I'm surprised about that. (laughs) And yeah. So share a little bit about you and kind of a little bit the changes. Like, I feel like you've gone yeah. through a lot of
1: changes. Absolutely. Uh, before I started the church uh, in 2006, I was an evangelist for about 10 or 11 years and just traveled all over the world. I tell people I had seven suits and seven sermons, blow in, blow up, and blow out. And uh, I did about 48 states, 15, 16 foreign countries, just traveling, and I enjoyed it. And I always swore off. The calling of a pastor. I was like, no, I don't want to stay with the same people. I just want to kind of, you know, get there and stir up some trouble and leave and go to the next town. But the Lord really began to burden my heart, number one, for my hometown you know, and the Bible even says a prophet's not without honor, but in his own country. And then he began to burden me for really verse by verse expositional teaching. And that's hard to do when you're on the road, when you're in a different place, because you're only there for a day or two, tops, you know, three or four services. And I wanted to be able to preach through books, and I wanted to see people's lives transition. So what happened is when I came off the road... Uh, this November will be 17 years ago. Of course, I I still travel a lot now, so I kind of have the the best of both worlds. But as a pastor, I officially started the church 17 years ago. And what happened was the transition of Bible preaching changed me more than it changed anybody else in our church. And as it began to, you know, shock and change me as a pastor, it began to change the people, the sheep of our congregation. But the interesting thing is the people were, they were kind of ready for the change and the transition into the fivefold and deliverance and more of the charismatic gifts, even long before I was, because mm-hmm. we were super Baptist. We were super cessationist. I was against miracles, signs, wonders, tongues, deliverance, demons. I was against any of that angels, but I just didn't talk about it because, you know, as the movie says, and even the book expresses, I was kind of taught against it. I was kind of taught through the lens of, yeah, we preach the gospel and I thank the Lord for that. And so I don't demonize, you know, Baptists or people that are cessationists, but I was taught all the gifts have ceased, we have an English Bible, we don't need anything else, God will never speak again, miracles will happen in heaven, but they don't happen now. And so when they begin to break out and happen in our church, I'm like, what do you do with that, right? And so I think the problem is the biggest criticism uh, to people that are non-cessationist, or what we would consider more continuationist or charismatic, they say, well, you just, you place your experience over your theology. No, 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 that's that's not true. We experience our theology and that's a very big different concept. And so I'm preaching verse by verse and line by line, so the Bible is giving me the foundation fundamentally for what I have and who I am, but I'm able to experience what the Bible says. Cuz what good is biblical interpretation if you don't have biblical application, the Bible's mm-hmm. not a, a book of you know black words on white paper. It's a living, breathing, viable and valuable book. Yes. And so yes. I don't know. It was the Bible preaching messed me up <laughs> yes. in a good way. And yes. so now for seventeen years, we've gone from a three hundred seat wedding chapel to a three thousand seat tent, and there are many times that it's just it's not big enough. We've baptized ten thousand people since COVID broke out in person no masks altogether, 110. And it's just crazy. The doors and the crusades. Mm -hmm. Now, now when we're going out to preach, it's not a Greg Locke thing. I think it's just a hunger thing. Mm -hmm. The the venues just aren't big enough. The hotel conference rooms aren't big enough anymore. The churches aren't big enough. The, Mm -hmm. you know, the civic centers aren't big enough. Thousands of people are standing in line in the heat for hours and many of them being turned away because they're just, they're starving to death. So the movie And the book, it's all just, it's kind of the perfect storm pastorally. It's just all happening at the same time. Somebody called me this morning, a pastor friend of mine that was struggling. And he's like, how in the world do you keep up? And I'll be honest with you. I I don't know. It is supernatural. I stay on my bicycle so I can keep my mind focused, right? I don't require a whole lot of sleep. It's, It's very robotic. I just, I'm in and out and I just do it. I don't know how it works. I'm not good at certain things but I have a team of people that are excellent at those things. So as long as I do what I'm gifted to do, I get more done.
0: Mm -hmm. Right.
1: And so a lot of people, and you know, this in your line Mm -hmm. of work, especially when people are struggling with, you know, mental health and emotional damage and trauma and, and marriage, they think that doing more, being busy makes them more spiritual. Oh no, the more I do, 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 do of things I'm not gifted to do, when I get out of my lane, I get frustrated. I get depressed. Spirit of heaviness comes upon me. Come on. The less I do, the more I get done. Yeah. Because I'm only good at a few things. And I just pay other people and bless other people to do the things that I'm not good at. If I try to administrate things, it's a mess. I'm I'm decent at preaching. I'm decent at loving crazy people, casting out demons and giving money away. That's it. And riding bicycles to keep me sane. That's it. So I don't try to do a bunch of behind the scenes. I don't run lock media. No, I just show up and do the videos, right? I can talk on camera. That's it. And so that's a long way around the barn to say that God has just so transitioned us unbelievably And all yeah. of that's been within the last three years.
0: Yeah. And the, the, one of the things that I would say that I really appreciate about you is your humility. You mm-hmm. are very humble and you share your own story. And it's yeah. very uh, opposite to where I see a lot of the controversy. Um, and it's almost, and let me just say what I see happening yeah. and you can let me know if um, that's true. What I see happening is I think there are people that are mm-hmm. hating on God working in you and through you. Mm, and they yeah. can maybe hate on you from maybe things that you've said in the past that they they don't sure. like and they're offended by. Um, but what I see happening now is you're just doing God's move and you're not yeah. getting distracted by that. This is So you can respond to this if you could kind of speak to a little bit of the controversy. And yeah. I feel like you're like, we're just doing what God's telling us to do. And we're yeah. not looking, we're not looking that way, and we bless yep. them, we love them, but we <laughs> yeah. just got to keep moving and doing what God is calling us to do.
1: You know, I, I think one of the biggest problems in the body of Christ, especially with people in the ministry, if they'll be honest and admit it, is in and jealousy. You know, I tell our church all the time, of course, we're in full-blown revival and have been for three or four years, but I say, look, what if we pray for revival, but God sends it to the church down the road? Can you mm-hmm. still rejoice for that? Yeah. And, and here was a real definitive moment for me. When we first started our church, you know, we were a couple years old oh. and we were, you know, just, we were struggling to get a hundred people to show up on Easter Sunday. Right. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? And so I would pass by these elementary schools and these high schools and middle schools and churches had just started and they were like five months old and they had 800 people. And I'm like, what in the world? And on Sundays, I found myself going the back roads to church just so I would not see how the other churches were being blessed. Aww. And it 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 got me. I mean, it, I was like, man, alive, we're trying to get 100 people. We've been going for a couple of years, you know, I'm a half decent preacher. What's going on? I'm trying to live right, you know. And one day the Lord said, "Look, you're going to have to stop going out of your way and being bitter about it. I will bless your church when you can rejoice in the blessings of other churches. And at that moment, I was like, you know what? Wow. We started taking up offerings for other churches, helping them pay parking lots when Mm. when ours is gravel, you know, and we still buy other buildings while we're in a tent because when we rejoice with what God's doing in other ministries and other marriages and other people's lives, then God just accentuates that in us. And so what I'm finding is God does have me on a different trajectory and people People hate it. Mm -hmm. now. I'm sure I gave people a little bit of fuel in the past, you know, and and still will. I mean, there's some people you're never going to make happy, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go on an apology tour and be like, oh, you know what I said? What I said was not wrong. Just the way I said it sometimes did come off half cocked and uneducated and wrong. And I've had to humble myself and and really eat some some humble pie about that. And the Lord's transitioned us. What I'm finding now as we are transitioning, it's the church crowd that's mad right? It's the denominational hierarchy. It's the elites. It's the pastors that are upset at the blessings of God. And so what motivates me is my haters because Mm -hmm. nobody watches my life more than the people that hate me. They know everything I eat. They know everything. They know when I wear the same watch or a different watch, they know everything about my life, or at least they pretend to, right? Mm -hmm. And so that motivates me to just live right, be holy. I tell people I'm an open book. All my skeletons right on the internet. Google has lied to you. <laughs> Don't believe Google. Google says men can get pregnant, right? So at the end of the day, I'm like, why do people want to sit around and believe internet trash? Because it's easier than sitting down over a cup of coffee and actually getting to know somebody. And so people would rather come off and say, oh, I know this about him. He's worth 129 million dollars. I'm like, really? Have you seen the modular home I live in and the 2012 truck? The most expensive possessions I have in my life are a couple of bicycles, right? And so everybody's like, oh, my goodness, look at him. He wears $300,000 watches. I'm like, have you ever heard of Timu? They're $6.99. I've got like 50 of them in a box. And so people want to assume the worst. But that's why the body of Christ is so schizophrenic right now, because we can't handle the blessing of god upon someone else that's but i love the blessing of god i want your show your podcast i want your ministry to to do more than mine could ever do i want my kids to serve the lord in ways i could never do it i want to see the the pastors that we ordain the hub leaders that we have man i hope they have bigger churches than i could ever imagine right best-selling books have movies fill up theaters if we cannot rejoice with what God's spirit is doing across the board. Why would we ever expect him to allow us to be good stewards of it? Because it's yeah. our attitude that we have to steward well. And if right. we don't steward our attitude well, then God's not going to give us anything else.
0: Oh, that's so good. Thank you for that. I really, it's absolutely a beautiful answer to that. Um, so in your book, you talk about, you know, that we either believe the Bible or we don't.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: I have a question about this because I'm, as yeah. I'm reading this, I'm like analyzing people who, mm-hmm interpret it differently. Yeah, yeah. So can yeah. you just respond to that? Like, what about people who just kind of in- interpret it? And I don't want to say however they want, because their oh, intention is actually good. Like, I don't think they're yeah. like evil people.
1: How, how do you
0: respond to that? Because that was well, you.
1: That I was, was one of those people for a long time. So I yeah. know all the arguments on the other side and it's yeah. not that they're evil people. They're not deviant. They're not trying to, you know, dastardly take the scriptures out of context. And some of them are, I mean, there really are some wolves in sheep's clothing, but for the most part, it, it's not a problem with their interpretation. It's a problem with their application, right? Because every, every scripture, you know, cause I preach verse by verse line by line. Every scripture only has one interpretation. I don't get to tell you what that interpretation is. The text does. That's why the Bible says no scripture is of any private interpretation. Uh, For example, I I can't say, well, the Holy Spirit told me this is what it means. And then you say, well, the Holy Spirit told me this is what it means. Okay, he's not double-minded. A double-minded man's unstable in all of his ways. And so it only means one thing. The problem is we can apply it a bunch of different ways, and that's okay as long as you keep the difference from interpretation to an application, because here's what people say, well, this is how I interpret it. No, no, no. What you really mean if you're being honest is this is how you apply it to your life. It's kind of like pastors that say things, well, you know, uh, I I don't believe that a a Christian could ever be uh, afflicted by a demon. They don't mean that. What they mean is they don't believe they can be afflicted by a demon. So they broadstroke everybody else, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. And so every scripture only has one way of reading it. For example, uh, one of the things that, that people love to talk about is jeremiah 29 11, right it's everybody's life verse it's a great verse it's beautiful mm-hmm. i know the plans that i have for you plans to prosper you you know to give you an expected end that is a beautiful verse i believe that verse but that verse only has one interpretation the interpretation is for the nation of israel it has nothing to do with greg Locke. it has nothing to do with america it has nothing to do with baptist pentecostal catholic or charismatic it is strictly to the nation of israel that's the interpretation But the context would lend itself to understand the application is, of course, God has plans for me. Of course, God wants to prosper me. Of course, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Isaiah 54, 13. That's not a verse that's written to me. That verse is written to Israel. That's why God has protected them for so many centuries and will forevermore protect them. Because no matter what the, the Middle Eastern mindset is, no weapon that comes against Israel will ever win. That's the interpretation. But certainly there's an application that, you know what? God's going to protect me too. God's going to make sure that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And so people need to know that there's an immediate setting. It's like a diamond, right? A diamond has more value when you put it in the right setting. And so every verse has one setting and only one. But then from there, you can extrapolate things, right? From there, you can bring out things. From there, you can make an application. So people may make the application, That deliverance is not biblical, but they could never make the interpretation that deliverance is not biblical because the Bible is very plain. So when I say we either believe the Bible or we don't, I don't care how you apply it. You have to take it in its immediate context. And in its immediate context, it's the number one thing that Jesus did. How you want to apply that because it makes you feel uncomfortable because your pianist manifested a demon while you were preaching, right? Or somebody in your choir or your wife or your husband or your kid. How you want to interpret that or how you want to apply that, that's on you. But you can't tell me. Well, this is what I think the Bible says. It doesn't matter because the Bible is not a, this is what I think it says. The Bible is a, this is what God said it says, and this is exactly what it means. And the verses before and the verses after will tell you what I call the five friends of understanding the Bible, who, what, when, where, and why. Who's he talking to? Why is he saying this? When's he saying this? What's the historical context? What is he talking about? And if somebody will read a Bible and ask themselves that question, who, what, when, where, why, man it immediately begins to make sense. There's times he's talking to Jews. There's times he's talking to Gentiles. There's times mm. he's talking to lost people. There's times he's talking to saved people, right? And once we have that framework, mm. we can understand the Bible. But here's why, and I know I give these long pastoral answers, no, but, uh, <laughs> but, but here's why that's important. The Bible says in 2 Timothy two fifteen, study to show yourself approved unto God, not so you can win a debate, no, approved unto God. And then he says, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He calls studying the Bible a workman. Why? Because most people don't want to do it because they're lazy. It is work to study the Bible. It is work. It's not work to apply it. It's work to interpret it. And that's why he says rightly dividing the word of truth. If I'm called and you're called to rightly divide the word of truth, that means there are people that are wrongly dividing the word of truth. And it's because they're calling interpretation application. Well, this is how it makes me feel. Okay. That's application. I'm glad it makes you feel like that, but Mm -hmm. this is what it really says, no matter how it makes you feel.
0: Wow, that's good. And, And I feel like you're kind of getting to where people kind of have their stuff or their issues or their lens that they take with them. Um, And this could, this can happen in deliverance ministry as well. You talk about in your book that not everything is a demon. And so how can we, because I think there's some people that think that you say that. So I just wanted to communicate that you don't, (laughs) you don't think that everything's a demon. So how can we discern if we do, if we do have a demon or if it's a stronghold and, or that we need discipline and you you talk about that, just the importance of discipline. How do we know the difference and how can we tell?
1: There's, there's several different ways, but let me just say this. In deliverance ministry, we believe in casting out demons, breaking down strongholds, and breaking off generational curses. There are three very different things. Three very different things. Now, usually if you have a generational curse, it's attached to an evil spirit because a familiar spirit loves generational bloodlines, right? Because at the end of the day, a demon don't care about you. It wants your kids, wants your kids, 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 kids. That's what a familiar spirit is. It just lives decades in the same homes through the same lineage. That's why God said, I'll visit the iniquity of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. A generation in the Bible is like 40 years. That's 120 to 160 years. Some people have been born into a family under a curse. And here's the craziest thing. And I I think I mentioned this in the book. It's sad to me that doctors, they won't call it deliverance, but doctors believe in deliverance more than pastors do. Because when you go into a doctor's office, the first thing they do is they give you a sheet of paper and they say, is hypertension in your family? Has anybody ever committed suicide? Does anybody have cancer? Does anybody have any gut problems in your family? Any mental issues? They're looking for a generational curse. They call it hereditary. They just want to know, is there something in your bloodline? A lot of doctors believe it and pastors don't, right? And so, yeah, not everything is a demon, but I think there's a lot more demonic torment in the church than people care to actually pay homage to. Yes. So when I'm counseling with somebody, I tell them, look, if it's not a demon, we can, we can, we can prescribe medication, let's pray, let's, you know, let's fast, let's, you know, give you some treatment, give you some traction, give you some counseling, whatever. But if it's demonic, you can't counsel it out. You can't pray right. it out. Right. You can't <laughs> medicate it out. There's only one way to get it out. You like the book says, you cast it out through the power and the authority of the name and the blood of Jesus. It's the only way. So when I'm talking to somebody, if they're if they're telling me certain things, once you've done this for a while, you you know what the triggers are. You, you can hear them talking and, you know, as to whether, OK, this is just a situation where you need some accountability and quit looking at pornography on your iPhone at three o'clock in the morning. Right. Mm-hmm. But if they consistently cannot break that habit, if. If they have a problem with their flesh, and many people do, because our flesh is wicked all by itself, even without a demon, right? (laughs) If if they do what the Bible says, the Bible is very prescriptive. Do this with your flesh and you will have victory, okay? If you believe the Bible and you do that with your flesh and you have no victory, it's not a flesh issue. Something is manipulating your flesh. You have a spirit of lust that is enticing you to continually do that, because anything you are compulsed to do is demonic. God will always compel you. The devil will always compulse you. Mm -hmm. That's why people say, well, I have OCD. You know, we laugh about that. I have obsessive compulsive disorder. Careful that you don't word curse yourself because anything you can't stop doing is demonic. Even if it's as simple, we had a 15 year old kid delivered at our church about six months ago from washing his hands every five minutes. He could not stop. There's nothing wicked about washing your hands. You ought to do it several times a day, right? But if you can't stop, if something is forcing you to feel like you have to, have to, have to, that obsession, that's demonic because that's a torment. And so at at the end of the day, there are simple, you know, legal, biblical ways to know, okay, is this just an area where you need to read your Bible more? You need to go to church, you need to break Mm -hmm. down a stronghold of an addiction, or do you actually have a demonic torment that's keeping you up at night and you just cannot stop? So when somebody cannot stop, that's a good sign. And if anybody's ever been involved in the occult or new age or Satanism in any way, a hundred times out of a hundred, they've got some sort of evil entity that's following them around, or at least it's in their house, a spirit of death, spirit of Santeria. There's just, there's so many ways that doors can be open to the demonic.
0: Yeah. And you, I think you used the word repeat customer. I don't know. I, yeah. Okay. So that you did. So can you talk about how that's, that's kind of, that's not really possible, but that Cause I do think that that happens that people can get addicted to deliverance ministry and addicted to kind of the, the feel good of going and having this experience of, you know, it, it, you know, there's a manifestation that comes out and just feels really great, but then they go back to, but really when you get a demon cast out, it's out. So explain what happens there
1: and how do you, You how do you navigate that at your church? People can reopen a door that there's no doubt about that, but this idea that they're automatically going to come back and bring seven more, I explained that whole process, you know, in a lengthy way. And that's the newest part of the book, because that was a real new revelation for me and for our team. I mean, that was a, that was a beautiful moment from the Holy spirit. It's not that they can't come back, but here's what people need to understand. If we get so uh, worshipful of the manifestations there's something wrong with that. Like I said, this past the night, look, the, the greatest manifestation is to be full of peace and walk out of here free of torment. I don't want everybody levitating off the ground, head spinning around, throwing up, screaming, hollering, throwing chairs. But we see it every single week. We watch them levitate off the ground for three feet. I've watched people projectile vomit across the room. I've watched people scream, cuss, pull their clothes off, you know, scratch their eyes out. I mean, just do crazy stuff. That's not what we want. But he- here's what happens. There is, when God moves, I don't care if it's uh, Toronto blessing, I don't care if it's Brownsville, I don't care if it's deliverance revival, I don't care what it is. When God moves, the devil cannot create movement, he can counterfeit movement. So there's always fake in every real revival. That's good. And we are, we have a tendency to be able to tell I can tell when I'm talking to a demon or when I'm talking to somebody that just wants to act like an idiot because it's easier to scream and let things out and blame it on a demon, right? Some people, they don't get a chance to scream at their boss, but if they can come to your church and scream at you and cuss and holler and blame it on a demon, they can act a fool. We know when people are acting a fool and when somebody has a demon, right? But sometimes people do fake it. And yeah. we know what they do. And when they do, I'll shut them down. I know when I'm talking to a demon, when I'm talking to a dummy, can I say that on the broadcast? And so because there is a difference. Cause some people just want to show up and act dumb. Some people just want to show up and they give deliverance a black eye. They give deliverance mm. of bad name. And so sometimes people are just ignorant and they do feel something or whatever. And they're just, maybe some people are just a little bit more on the, um, uh, the bolstering of more emotion than other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I don't do is placate to that. There are some deliverance ministers and, and I've been known to call them out and I love them and some of them are our friends they can kind of play a little bit more to the emotion. I don't need that, right? Mm-hmm. I don't have to have drums going so loud and, and, and you know, to, 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 to get them demons stirred up. No, yeah. I just, yeah. you, in the name of Jesus, they, they get stirred up. I don't have to have that. I got a little bit of soft piano music playing behind me just so the atmosphere is not. I don't have to have all the amp. Uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact, a preacher, I mean, a pretty well-known preacher, he has been tormented his whole life by rejection. I mean, he struggles so deeply with rejection. He called me on the phone. He's in another state. He's driving down a road. I tell him to pull off the side of the road. And I pray through the phone against the spirit of rejection. And I'm telling you, it absolutely manifested. It wasn't crazy. He didn't run off the road and wreck. But he knew. He said, man, I felt that thing come off me immediately. Come when on. You began it so broke good. off me, he said, like, a, like handcuffs. And so, so I, I don't have to have any bells and whistles. Because the power's not in the bells and whistles. And I fear sometimes that YouTube famous people have given deliverance a little bit of a bad rap because they think it's all about the atmosphere. I could care less about the atmosphere. I can do it in Waffle House, right? I can cast a demon out in Walmart. We have cast demons out of people that recognized us walking into a hotel in the hotel lobby, (laughs) right? There's no music playing. There's no band amping up. We don't have to have it. And so if we're not careful, Deliverance ministry will become about the experience. Yeah, it will become good. about the manifestation. No, the manifestation is going to happen. You don't have to overthink it. You don't have to underthink it. If you got a demon and I start talking to it, it's going to come out. Right. One <laughs> way, I don't care what it does. It's going to come out. Does that make sense? It does.
0: And and you do the mass deliverance because you don't have the time and people to do all the one-on-one i mean i think you do have that yeah. you do offer that you yep. do have you know references for people to be able to find that but i think people there's some people that have they don't like the mass deliverance but right. that's that's where you can help more people at once
1: yes that yeah, is even now with as many mass deliver this past sunday night I'm not sure when this area but this past Sunday night we did eight our 82nd straight week of mass deliverance no wow. break 82 Sunday nights in a row, mass delivered. And we still have appointments. We still have people calling. And so people need to understand, even with mass deliverance, we Mm -hmm. cannot keep up with the singular demand of people that are still trying to meet with us. It's unbelievable. I literally, I I right now, uh, hand to God, I could hire 50 full-time deliverance workers and keep their office busy every single day. That's how many requests we get. So we we have to do mass deliverance Mm -hmm. for the sake of we would go crazy. There's, there's no other way to do it. And interestingly enough, there are people that are, that are gifted two very different ways, right? Mm -hmm. For example, my wife, Ty, she is, she has a high grace for one-on-one deliverance. I don't, Mm -hmm. I have a grace for mass deliverance. Uh, So when people that have been doing deliverance for 50 years, see me do a mass deliverance, they're like, my goodness, that is the most well-organized because that's what I'm graced to do. I sit down in offices. My personal deliverance is with leaders, right? I, I, I go through deliverance with pastors, People that have a ministry, I don't want to embarrass them in a mass deliverance, right? I, they're yep. like, man, we're just trying to walk in. So I do a lot yeah. of personal deliverance with people that are well-known, right? Yep. And, and we're talking yep. about coaches. We're talking about ball players, you know, golfers, yep. movie stars, that kind of stuff. You know, I don't mind doing that. And I do some of that Zoom and on the phone, but I'm not graced for one-on-one. I'll do it. I'll, I mean, I can walk into a Waffle House and get a demon stirred up. You know, that's no big deal. I, I can go to Target and get a demon stirred up, but I'm graced to stand up with a microphone or in a movie theater and call thousands of people to deliverance at one time. Not everybody can do that. And they're not called to that. My wife, she don't like doing that. She likes coming off the platform one-on-one eyeball to eyeball our team. They do that. And so people are like, how do you do that? I don't look, it's a win worldly style, Derek Prince. They were graced for it in their generation. I'm graced for it in my generation. You know, even guys like, you know, Isaiah and Mike Signorelli, my friends, they, they do a lot of different deliverance, but all of their deliverance ministry is different. Like Daniel, for example, he's a one-on-one guy. He's not a mass deliverance guy. Pagani, he's a mass deliverance and a one-on-one guy. You don't get those every single day. You get somebody like right. Henry Schaefer. He's a one-on-one guy, right? I'm a mass deliverance guy. And yep. I don't know why that is, but all of us have a different grace. And yeah. we have to stop thinking <laughs> that deliverance ministry is not a gift from the Holy Spirit. When First Corinthians chapter 12 says one of the nine gifts of the manifested yes. work of the Holy Spirit is discerning of spirits.
0: That's a good point.
1: There's only one reason the Holy Spirit would give the church the gift of discerning of spirits because some of us are high-end gifted to know what spirits to call out. Because That's if you good. don't know what to call out, if you have no discernment, then you're gonna, be, you're gonna take a five-minute deliverance session and turn it into five hours and call out 3,000 things that aren't in the person, right? Mm-hmm. So some of us have a grace to walk into a room, hear five minutes of a conversation and know exactly what you're struggling with. Right. And so really it does have a lot of counsel to it. It does have a lot of, you know, biblical. I just sit in a room for a minute. I listen and I'm like, yeah, you got a spirit of death. (laughs) You know, you got a spirit of grief. I can just, I can hear them talk and -hmm. I can know almost immediately what they're struggling with.
0: Yeah. And I love that you said that you don't, it's like Jesus (laughs) commands us to cast out demons. It's not a spiritual gift. And even last night, my son actually came to me and told me he's six years old and he said, he said, mom, Jesus came to me and told me that angels are protecting me. And then he said, then someone else talked to me. I said, was it, was it Satan? (laughs) He said that. And I said, the bad man. And he said, yeah, he told me to be naughty again. And I, and I told him to get out in Jesus name and he left. So he's six. He doesn't, you know, like if there's no junior Holy spirit, like it's, he tells us to do this. This isn't uh, this isn't like a, you know, you have to go through a, a bunch of, I mean, ministry training. Yes, it is helpful to gain the, dis, the discerning of spirits, but yeah. you, you're really encouraging us all to step out and walk in this That because Jesus Absolutely. tells us to.
1: Yeah. And, and that's encouraging that I hear that even from a six year old, because, you know, most people talk us out of what the Holy Spirit has gifted us to do in our lifetime. And most kids are seers. They see things we don't see, right? I mean, they're like, look, like, like little animals, right? But we, mm. we wonder why dogs bark and we, dogs see stuff, right? The yeah. Animals see stuff. Well, kids are seers. Uh, yeah. I've got a couple of kids that are seers. Matter of fact, one of my uh, one of my older sons now, you know, he when he was growing up, he would always he would always walk around looking at the floor. Right. He would always just his name's Evan. He would always walk around looking at the floor. And it's not that he wouldn't look adults in the eyes, but it was a differentness. And and I would talk to him about it and go, why? Because he, he would see things, right? He'd be scared at night. He would see things. He was a seer. Most wow. kids are seers, but adults talk them out of that. Right. Yes. But if you keep cultivating things, he because he's saying that, because he's very early engaging now in the spiritual realm, there is no doubt he has a high-end gift of the discerning of spirits. Because look, anything that talks to you is a person. He's seeing angels, demons, the whole deal. Right. Mm-hmm. He's not making that stuff up. You know, no. <laughs> I, I grew up with an imaginary friend. Everybody, well, you know, had an imaginary friend. No, you didn't. You had a familiar spirit. Because if it talked to you, it is a spirit. <laughs> it ain't no imaginary. Yes. And there's nothing imaginary about it. It's yeah. as real as the conversation that we're having right now.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's good. We definitely like like take take kids' gifts and we we squash it, and we shouldn't we do. be doing that. Okay, so can you explain? the Matthew 12, the the new thing that you talked about in your book about how demon the seven spirits coming back and you you talk about how demons actually can leave. Remember you talked about like that yeah. the yep. that they'll can Absolutely. you explain that this new revelation yeah. that you got that I was like, wow, I've never heard this teaching before it was right. very new for me too.
1: Well, it's always taught when a demon is cast out, you got to be careful because it's going to come back if you don't replace it with something else, you know, and I understand the replacement principle it's going to bring seven more. But in that passage, it doesn't say it says when a demon is gone out, it doesn't say when a demon is cast out, because demons can leave. They can if they can come with an open door, they can leave with an open door. If you leave your front door open in your house, eventually something's coming in some deer's walking in, some wolf, some dogs, something's a roach, something's coming in the house if you leave the door open long enough. And so the same thing is true with demons not being cast out, but just having the ability to leave. That's why sometimes when people have mental torment, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden one day they can wake up and it's like gone, Mm -hmm. right? They're like, everything's good. Their marriage is great. They can think they're not foggy. They're not cloudy. They're not sitting on the couch. They're out riding a bicycle. They're having a great time. And then Four days later, five weeks later, boom, they're right mm-hmm. back in the slough of despond. What's going on? What's wrong with me? Because a, a tormenting demon can come and go as it pleases. So it's not a passage about a deliverance. It's not a passage about a, a demon being cast out. It's a passage about a departure. The demon just chose to leave. So it yeah. goes around looking for a better host, doesn't find it, gets bored, comes back, brings seven more. That's why when that happens in a person's life, incrementally, they never get better. They get worse. They get worse. They get worse. It's like a husband or a wife. Man, they're they're horrible with their spouse. And then one day they wake up, they're loving, they're kind. But when it comes back upon them, they're worse than they were before, right? They're more horrible. They're more reclusive. They're more rejective. They, they have no intimacy, no romance. They're, they're saying horrible things. And every time it happens, that person gets worse and worse and worse to the mm-hmm. place where they're either coming to me for deliverance or they're coming to you for counsel and marital, marital help, right? Because right. They, they can't figure it out they're going nuts so the principle is at the end of the passage jesus said so shall it be in this wicked generation that's the verse i always had trouble with in the king james what 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 does demons coming back have to do with this generation everything because what's happening is demons are free to come and go in this culture and because we're not doing anything with it every time they leave they're coming back with more and they're coming back it's compounded interest in deliverance ministry So now this generation is way more wicked than what was going on in the 50s. The 50s could never imagine what we are dealing with right now. Oh, people said, oh, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And of course, you know, COVID and all that, it, it helped us leap prophetically about 50 years forward. But there's no way people in 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, or even the 60s would have looked at where we are right now, 2023. And being able to see this. So why is it that every generation gets worse and worse and worse? Because demons have just been free to come and go, come and go. And Jesus said, the closer we get to the coming of Christ, the more demonic activity is going to increase because of the compounded interest principle. So it's not a passage about demons being cast out. It's Mm. a passage about demons just coming and going and leaving. And so what people don't understand is, if you have a demon and we cast it out and we command it not to come back, that doesn't mean they did not leave a stronghold. You can still have a stronghold because if a demon of lust is cast out, you can still struggle with pornography because you still have the triggers. You're still yeah. looking at it on your phone. Right. You're right. still, you know, looking at magazines, you're looking at billboards, you're still, you know, talking to people or texting people you shouldn't. And so I tell people, look, once you've gone through deliverance, you don't have to keep going through deliverance, change your phone number. Yeah. Right. Yes. Pay attention to what you're watching. If if you can't handle Netflix, then cancel your Netflix account. Take away the triggers that are keeping you feeding the stronghold. Because here's what people don't understand. Once a demon's gone, you still got a flesh. If a demon left a stronghold in your life, your flesh will fill in on that stronghold and take over. And people are like, oh, I need more deliverance. I need more deliverance. No, you don't. You need discipline. You need to break down the stronghold that the demon that left put in you and left in you. You need to change your friends, change your phone number, change your surroundings.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So you talk about this experience of degree of deliverance. That's like slightly to me, this felt like a really big part of big problem that we actually have. And another problem I think we have is, is pastors that need deliverance and they're leading and, you know, they're, they're not leading from this place of love. And, but can you, can you talk about that? about the slightly, this kind of what you meant about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, there are people that have been healed and delivered just slightly. There's mm-hmm. there's only so much that they're gonna give over to the Lord. Most of the time that is ministry related people, people that have church hurt, trauma, pastors, because they don't wanna admit that they need help. Right. I mean, I didn't want to for years. I mean, Christians can't have a demon, can't be afflicted. Well, okay, so how come for three years I would pastor, turn off the microphone and go home and I couldn't get out of bed for three days? Right. Well, the Bible tells me what that is. Isaiah 61, verse four. He didn't call it depression, anxiety, PTSD. He calls it a spirit of heaviness it's a spirit of heaviness. Depression is not a something, it's a someone. It's why you can't describe it. It's why when people suffer with depression, like I did for three years chronically, I mean, I was like, oh my goodness, what do I do? Medication. And it's why I got riding bicycles because I couldn't think. And so when somebody who struggles with depression, whatever you want to call it, and somebody says, what is wrong with you? It's why it's a trigger to us. And we're like, it makes us mad because we can't explain it because we're trying to explain something that is supernatural to people in the natural, and you can't because it's not something you struggle with. It's someone that is tormenting you. Because a spirit is a person without a body. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. So when you understand, the Bible says God's not giving you a spirit of fear. The Bible talks about a spirit of poverty, a spirit of grief. There's a lot of different spirits. So if you understand what you are fighting, you will fight differently. And the problem is we're fighting the wrong way because we're fighting the wrong thing. We, we yeah. think, you know, the, Oh yeah, we're just, we're just fighting depression. No, we're fighting a spirit of heaviness. And pastors don't want to admit that the biggest thing I had to be delivered from was the spirit of religion. And, mm. and I mean, it came out. I mean, I was full of that denominational doubt. It's why I disagreed with, you know, where I'm at right now. I would have called myself a heretic five years ago, mm. but deliverance changed everything for me. And so what I mean by that slightly is The church in America has just enough Bible to be dangerous, right? We stop. Yeah, of course we believe the gospel, death, burial, resurrection. We don't serve a dead Jew in a Palestinian tomb. We get all that hokey stuff, right? When you say all these cute little things, yeah, of course we know that the tomb is empty. That's got to mean something. If Jesus is alive, why is the church so dead, right? If the Holy Spirit has gifts for us, why are we living in a lukewarm condition? Why, Why are pastors you know, having as many marital problems as the people that they pastor. Yes. Why is it, you know, and this is what people need to understand. Why is it that we can preach these astoundingly cute motivational pop psychology sermons? We can have props. We can fill up churches. Why is it that pastors of mega churches are coming to me secretly to have deliverance from alcoholism and pornography and on the verge of divorce? Right. But we're at a place now where, Fifty percent of people in the ministry are going through divorce. Yes. Fifty percent. Yes. And I mean, and and, and I get it. I mean, I went through a a divorce years ago, seven years ago, Mm -hmm. and I went through a a horrible, horrific situation as a pastor. I didn't know what deliverance was. I could have salvaged a lot back in the day if I'd have known what deliverance was then. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and people look at that and like, well, you know, no, I'm talking about pastors of good established well-known churches that come to me in tears will come to my office have a full blown demonic manifestation right in my office on my carpet when i start calling out spirit of lust spirit of anxiety spirit of heaviness right you start calling these things and these men will not admit that they've got a problem so when pastors finally go through deliverance the church will not have a slightly you know relief from the demonic they'll get the full blown thing and so I tell, that's why I'm so vulnerable now. That's why I get up and tell our people. Man, sometimes my life's a crap fest, right? I'm just honest <laughs> about it because my vulnerability, it speaks to people. Whether at. I they think, well, it I can't does. cry too much. I don't want to be too no. humble. I've got to be this big, bold, passionate man of God. <laughs> no, no, no. When I get up and I tell people, you know what? Here's what I went through. Mm-hmm. This is my experience. This is where I am. And the Holy Spirit's wrecking my world. You know what that does? It draws people to our church by the thousands. They Amen. love that. They want somebody that teaches on something that they're living themselves.
0: Yes. Yeah. And I'm so thankful that you're pioneering this and really pray that more churches find out about this. So before I have you pray for us, I I would love to know your thoughts on mental health counseling.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I I Mm -hmm. think mental health counseling is very important. Pagani Mm -hmm. actually has a a lot of teaching on this Mm -hmm. because again, because not everything is a demon or even if it's demonically related, that doesn't mean that that person still can't have a mental stronghold Mm -hmm. because the Bible even said, casting down imaginations, and mm-hmm. every high thing that exalted against the knowledge of God, bringing mm-hmm. the captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's a passage on strongholds, not a passage mm-hmm. on demons, right. because if you lose the battle in your mind, it's only a matter of time before you lose the battle in your body. Right. Because if you think it like, if you think yourself to be so unworthy and you've got mm-hmm. so much trauma and rejection, your life, every relationship you have, is going to automatically be self-sabotaged. And so people have to learn to sit down with people like you and change what I call their stinking thinking. They need a checkup from the network. So absolutely (laughs) mental health issues are a, a major concern because not everything is demonic. But what I believe is if someone does not go through the mental health steps that they need, that keeping that, that instability can be the open door for that spirit of torment to come in and even make their mental deficiencies worse and worse and worse.
0: Yeah. And as a therapist, though, I think some of the, you know, what maybe pastors would say is some people can be addicted to counseling.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. So, (laughs) absolutely. Yeah. So there does have
0: to be that will that want, you know, there does have to be that desperation of, I actually do want freedom and do want to get
1: to freedom. So,
0: yeah. And and, and what's interesting
1: about that statement is, Deliverance Ministry took away ninety percent of my pastoral counseling. Good, it just took it away. Yeah, all the people yes. I was meeting with all the time—they came to Mass Deliverance and they got free, and yes. I'm not having to counsel them about the same things anymore. Yeah,
0: that, I mean, I I agree with you, and I think we need more. We need more therapists that are cross trained in this, so they are yes. able to recognize when to make referrals or to be trained Amen. in it ourselves. And yeah, so Absolutely. thank you so much for doing this interview. I would love it if you could pray for us and then let us know how we can buy the book.
1: Yep, absolutely. Let's pray. Father in Jesus' mighty name, we thank you for this broadcast. Lord, I thank you so much for all of the people that will see this, for, for many, many days and months and years to come and be able to say, wow, he's speaking my language. That's what I need to be involved in. That's what I need. So Lord, use this opportunity right now to change somebody's life. And Lord, I pray that right now, the spirit of God would begin to show them the things that they are struggling with. People would stop making excuses, stop being embarrassed, stop feeling so unworthy and feeling like a failure. But Lord, they would watch this and say, you know what? I'm going to seek the professional help, the ministerial help that I need. I'm going to get my heart in order, going to get my home in order, going to get my mind in order. So Lord, use this to convict your people. Use it to convict pastors to stop playing gospel games and start preaching what the Bible actually says and setting people free. Lord we know this was the number one thing your son, the Lord Jesus, did upon this earth. How could we ever ignore that? Lord, you never commissioned anyone, anyone to preach the gospel with which you also did not give them power to cast out demons and heal the sick. So Lord, may we do that. So bless this this time that we've had. Use it powerfully, use it miraculously and mightily in people's lives. And Lord, I pray that when they come to the end of this prayer, they would begin to just fall on their face, get on their knees in their living room and call out to you and say, Lord, help me, show me the areas of my life whereby I need deliverance, whereby I need discipline and show them the difference between the two. So father again thank you for this opportunity. May we love you, may we love your word more than ever before. May we be individuals that cause people to get thirsty to know more of the word of God and more of the presence of the Holy Spirit in Jesus mighty name. Amen and amen. Amen.
0: Awesome. Thank you well, so much. Well, they can go to uh, if yes. they go to
1: Amazon, they can pre-order the book or if they okay. go to uh, mycharismahouse.com they can order okay. the book there. And okay. uh, so it is a charisma book. And yeah, uh, but Amazon's kind of the best place to get it. Just it's going to come out on the 29th. The first major copies we'll have is September 2, 3, and 4 at our second annual National Deliverance Training Conference. It's going to be beautiful. And then, and, how, uh,
0: yeah, how yep. could people watch the movie come out in Jesus' name?
1: Yep, it is on uh, Amazon Prime. Just, just mm-hmm. if they start typing, sometimes it'll, it'll come up on the top, but they kind of got us. You know, pressed down in the algorithm, but a lot okay. of people are watching it. So if they just go okay. to uh, come out, Jesus name, Amazon Prime, iTunes, yep. the Salem Now Network, Google TV, uh, YouTube subscription TV, any of those places, they can find it. A lot okay. of people are finding it on Amazon.
0: Awesome, awesome! Thank you so much. Well, thank you, thank, thank you, Pastor Greg, for being on. I've been honored. Thanks for listening to the Strong Tower Mental Health Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen. Your review helps the show reach more people and spread mental health awareness with Jesus at the Center. You can also check me out on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or my website at HeidiMortensonLMFT.com. See you at our next episode.